This is The Politics of Everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast, so while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Vitality is a wondrous word, isn't it? To me, it means a sense of energy mixed with purpose and well-being with an extra dash of zing. My guest today is Nikki Fogden-Moore, a world-class business and lifestyle coach who lives and breathes vitality. Her other moniker is the Mojo Maker. Nikki is a public speaker, author, facilitator, and leader in her field, and she's carved her niche over the past two decades through a relentless sense of pursuing what matters to her most and also by knowing how to best serve her clients. Nikki's genius is in working with the real-life leaders in, in the business world and beyond. CEOs and those at the top end of town that possess vision, drive, tenacity, and true passion for whatever they do. Her take on success is often about big shifts in our comfort level to get even greater results. And here today, Nikki is discussing the politics of vitality. Welcome, Nikki. Ooh, what a uh, wonderful intro. And it's all true, so that's (laughs) even better. I have, a, I have a really a new nickname now. I've now um, coined the Mojo Maker for my clients, so I'm updating everything with that. But I think it blends nicely from vitality. I think that that word is just in its essence so crucial for all of us to to look into and to harness, um, you know, commercially and personally. So thanks for the intro, Amber. Perfect. So let's go back uh, a few years and discuss uh, what was your childhood dream career and did you stay on that path? God, I love these questions that you you always ask. You know, I really wanted to be a marine biologist and then a lawyer. So um, I think the combination of the ocean and talking a lot were my two things. So not much has changed. Um, I definitely still in love with the ocean and I definitely talk for a living. So, uh, but I I don't know if, I think the caring side of what I wanted to do has always been there. And But I'm, I'm definitely not a marine biologist. So that, that dream did not come to fruition. Interesting. So what experiences in your life have been really pivotal to actually be able to understand what we all need to achieve our best in our life, whether that be our health, our well-being, our mental state, our career? How have you kind of built that expertise? Yeah, that's been a really frequent question, especially standing on stage with Q's and A's is, you know, how do we all get to this position where we become experts in a field. And I think my journey started really, really young. Uh, it also maybe started just in my DNA growing up in New Zealand and coming from a very entrepreneurial family with a hardworking father and five other brothers and sisters. I was the youngest by nine years. So a big gap and very uncool hand-me-downs. But we're always a very tenacious and hardworking culture in our family. And, and you know, I was very, very lucky to have a beautiful upbringing with a great education but I can just remember from a very young age having to be, you know, fiercely independent and to earn my stripes. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of generosity of spirit from from my mother as well, but it was very much a team effort. There's a lot of time outdoors and a lot of time rolling our sleeves up. So those kind of work ethic of, of getting amongst it, saying yes to things and not arguing and just getting on with it, I think have stayed with me 
from that young age right through to boarding school to uni. And I think that ability to go say yes to many things and blend this fresh air and fresh perspective at the same time of needing to use our intellectual side of ourselves is really crucial. So when I grew up, you know, it was expected that you you studied hard and you went to university and you got a job straight away. And that's exactly what I did at a young age. So my career has taken me from a ski shop job from when I was 15, right through to working globally in branding in Amsterdam and London. And that whole time, I've always had that blend of, of fitness and, and of nutrition and interest in that at a very high level. What most people don't know, however, is that when I was 12, I was in a bus accident at school and got quite severely injured and it was quite a fatal accident. Five people didn't make it out of that. So I think that's probably a defining point in understanding my mental DNA. I've always been a very resilient, open-minded and caring little um, child and I, I don't really think that's changed. And our ability in those days to, you know, get up in the morning and make each day count is, is definitely something I've carried through right into this age and the role that I have now. Absolutely fascinating to hear all that. And I've known you for several years and I never knew all those things. So I'm so <laughs> glad I asked that question and dug a little bit deeper. So going into our topic today, what is your definition of vitality? How would you really define that at the simplest level? I mean, I think that it really is feeling you know, the blood course through your veins. It's seeing technicolor in the day. It is feeling and it's waking up going with a purpose. And, it, you know, the, the one thing that I always say is that life is definitely not a Formula One track. No one comes along and picks up little bits of gravel so you can have a smooth ride. It's, it's actually about being agile and being curious. And vitality is just having a sense of energy, purpose, conviction, and sort of passion across personal and commercial success. It's not just about smoothies and, and diets. I just think those are just, you know, the misuse of a word. Vitality is loving your life. It is being present. It is being grounded in your decisions. It is allowing yourself and giving yourself the permission to take off any gravity that might have been in your self-belief system growing up and going, what is possible? So vitality for me is waking up in the morning, feeling every fiber and going, wow, you know, there's a whole new day out there. And regardless of what stresses I may have, I feel this sense of appreciation and connection and on a very, very deep level to the people I work with, you know, from ordering my coffee in the morning to hopping into a car that I love to drive. It's just, it's being really connected. So I'd like to say it's like a vibration. I think vitality is a frequency that we choose to operate on and we can either choose to be undernourished or we can choose to be enriched. Absolutely. So I'm a loyal fan of your winning week planner and I've used it every year for the num number of years. It's so simple and so good and so fun. It sets me up so perfectly. I'd like you just to explain that a little bit to people so they go, okay, can I have some of that and not sort of think I'm holding all the secrets here. But I love how it covers all aspects of that sense of our ultimate vitality. Why do you yeah. think the planning part is so key and how do you really help your clients get that right? Well, I, thanks for such a great question. I think, first of all, if we do not design the life or the week that we want, we're going to get the one we're given. And, you know, my specialty is, as you know, high-performing minds and companies. And that means, you know, we ask a lot from ourselves, but I always find it so a little bit of, you know, antithesis that people that are really high performers are always so stressed out and they're just giving up one thing for the other. So we must learn to integrate, not negotiate our time. The winning week is knowing that me time you know, health and well-being, personal as well as business, finance and admin, friends, family and 
those things are all integrated in a day, whether or not they're the same amount of time, of course, is not relevant. It's knowing that you need to have a kaleidoscope of elements in your life to be fulfilled. You need downtime to recharge. You need to spend time with quality people that you enjoy the company of. We can't all choose our family, but you know, it's been purposeful. So we could do two things in life. One, you could be a person who life does stuff to, or two, you could be a person who do things with life. And I think when you decide that you do things with life, you suddenly realize that you're in the driver's seat and, and that you're like, right, what needs to happen this week? Most people put their business meetings in their calendar, but everything else isn't in there. And they don't want to show that they're picking their kid up from school or they're doing yoga or a 15 minute workout, or they just need for me in my calendar, I just have a nano break and I'm non-contactable then. It's just 15 minutes and I just like to spend some time being off the grid. It might be just a walk around the block with Roxy or I could be presenting. It just means I need five or 10 minutes without white noise. And this requirement that we have on an individual level to operate with people, but on a loan, uh, being in charge of our personal finances, being in charge of our personal health and well-being, that only actually happens when we put time into it. There's a big difference between a big vision board and actually getting the results, and that is putting the work in on a daily basis. So designing your winning weeks enables you to have masterful months and remarkable years, enables you to be purposeful, to be considerate, to not let the small things become major catastrophes at the end of the month, to be in charge of your personal administration like you would your business account balance. And I think when we start to spend more time chipping away at those things, then there's less homework to be done later. So it enables us to give a helicopter view to our week and enables us to be flexible. There's going to be illnesses, there's going to be traffic jams, there's going to be roadblocks. And, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's about progress. And that's what a winning week is. Terrific. So what's really changed, do you think, in your experience from, I guess, the work-life balance idea to now work-life blend in 2018? It definitely seems more compacted, more being squeezed in. But how do you think that compares to, say, a decade ago or more? Is that impacting our vitality because we're trying to put more into our our days than we were perhaps previously? Undoubtedly. I I would say there's three core pillars that are impacting our you know, our mental, physical and emotional or spiritual vitality. And those are the amount of times that we're connected digitally, you know, just by pure fact, we are in front of screens, we're in front of televisions, even you can't even sit on a tram and there's not a computer screen in front of you, even taxis these days, we're just bombarded with neuro stimulus constantly. And the one thing that our brains need and our bodies need is time out to recharge and repair, but we never give that this constant need to reply straight away, this instant gratification society does not allow space for thought, for consideration and for personal space either. So I definitely think this connectedness in some ways have made people more disconnected. They're on autopilot, they're stressed out, they never feel they have time to themselves. Our ability to have real human conversations with significance have decreased and it's a study you know, basic level of human study that shows that touch and eye contact are what build our endorphins, our serotonin, our our knowledge inside our bodies that we're actually being noticed. So we're stepping further and further away from true human connection. So I think that number one, our digital world has created a dimming of our vitality in terms of our downtime. 
Uh, the other thing is, you know, the required travel and the, just the pure population and getting from A to B, it's, it's exhausting and everything is minute by minute. And whether you're a surgeon or an accountant or you're running your own business, people are always trading time. And it's really now going to be down to our mindset. You know, we all have 1,440 minutes in the day. That is not you know change. that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah, make them all count, but also make them, it sounds like you just can't be productive all the time. And the key to vitality might be about reducing that sense of I need to be doing something all the time. Well, that's this whole thing, you know, busy became a buzzword. And I just think the busy is the word, I try and use the word productive and it means permission to regroup. Like when I work with CEOs and leaders or entrepreneurs, the most of the problem is once we get to a senior position in, in life, we've got so much responsibility that we can't be creative and visionary with a pure purpose that we were there in the first place. So in order for our brand, brains to expand and our bodies to heal, we need to have time out. We need to wonder about things. We need to wander around in nature. We need to be with ourselves. And I think that this is the biggest issue at the moment. It's very, very hard to just be alone. I don't mean just introverts. I mean anyone. You know, I'm a huge extrovert, but I need my alone time to recharge. And so we've got an interpersonal issue. We have a digital issue. And then we have a mindset issue, which is even though we're operating in a new landscape of flexible working hours and mindfulness and happiness and you design what you want, we're not, we haven't got the tools to actually utilize that framework. We're still operating in the 1950s and 60s in terms of how we view first in the office and last out as being a good thing. And I argue that people say that's changed, but I still feel working with finance and law companies and that there's still a lot of stigma around always seeming to be busy. And we need to really look at productive as the result of that. Absolutely. So let's get a little bit personal. How do you get vitality in your own life? And I know you touched on the idea that you take those nano breaks and you might go for a walk with your dog, Roxy, or you might just, you know, be somewhere still and quiet or be near the water. What else do you do that sometimes when you're traveling, for example, you don't have access to all of that? Do you have some sort of, you know, toolbox that you take with you? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. You know, last year I was, I think, at home 27 full proper days. In the whole year. So, wow, that's nuts. Yeah. But also, uh, anyway, right. I'm my own boss, so <laughs> it's not like I can't blame anyone else. But I often think, where does all this energy come from? And I just have my vital ingredients. I mean, I definitely think speaking to you today, my battery is probably on amber than green and I just recognize the things. So I know my body really well. I also know my great times for creativity, connection, intelligence are in the morning and the afternoon. I'm better off kind of working on things. So I try and book my client times in the morning. I have little rituals now that are lifesavers for me. So for example, I have a driver when I get to major cities that I know and trust and I do all my calls in the car when I land at the airport. I have rituals when I get to hotel rooms. I might even do a headstand. I have my favorite tea. If I'm too tired to go for a run, I go and explore a city and go and find the best coffee. You know, I've been doing health and fitness professionally as well as head trainer for Women's Health and Fitness Magazine for many, many years alongside all of the business work. So I think that I don't have the strict regime. I just listen to my body and I have a hard drive of so many exercises, whether it's a stretch or a run or a jog or and I have a lot of fun in my life. I really love what I do and that purpose gives you energy. But I know that I need six hours sleep. I know that I need my peppermint tea. I know I love a beautiful glass of champagne. You know, I'm allergic to most wines. So 
my treat is to have a very, very beautiful glass of French champagne somewhere and and that's all I need. And and then catching up with people that I really love, like that quality time and connection or a phone call and those things. So rest and relaxation. My fitness comes with me everywhere. It's, you know, a great pair of running shorts and shoes and a great attitude. And then also a sense of exploration. We have to be in charge. So if you if you are having lots of business meetings, then choose fresh food as your choices. Like it's just absolutely a story that say I eat out a lot for work. I mean, I travel five out of seven days and I seem to have a pretty healthy aspect in my food and nutrition. It really is about making the right choices. And then make sure as well, my other tip is I don't scrimp on where I stay. Like, you know, where I stay is is my home away from home. So those creature comforts are really important. So you know yourself well, it sounds, and maybe that's part of what you need, lots of people need to get back to to get to that, that ultimate vitality. It's just tapping into what, what works for you. Because I guess some people could just sleep in an average hotel and not have peppermint tea and be fine. And other people, they really need that. And I, I must admit, I'm, I'm a bit like you. <laughs> so I'd love to sort of just get your thoughts on what's the biggest challenge that most entrepreneurs and C-suite leaders face in pri- prioritizing vitality. And I guess when you work with them, how do you really track their progress to ensure that it's a, it's a shift for good? So I think, you know, you could go to a retreat, you get all the tools. It's like going to any seminar. You fill up, you feel great, you're inspired. You're going to do all this stuff and a week later you still haven't gone for your run and you, yeah. you know. I love that analogy. I'm, I always call it like, you know, the conference, the serial conference girl, like, woohoo, we're really going to get cured and then yeah. nothing happened. Nothing happened. No, I think the reason that I think I've I've stayed coaching my clients for over a decade, some of them, is because I like to get shit done with clients and excuse the language. But I think fundamentally there are three R's in anything and I hate to say these kind of analogies, but they're true. If someone doesn't have a goal that resonates with them, it may as well just be a piece of paper that someone throws a dart at. 100%. I think first and foremost is that we need to, you, as a leader in your life, you need to figure out what does wow look like for me now? You need to let go of all the old stories and belief systems. And what I do with my clients is we roadmap. We go, where do you sit? And it's time to just like you renegotiate your business strategy, you have to be the CEO of your life. So where do you need to be and what does great feel like? And that means actually, being aware that your ego is not your amigo. So that little voice in your head that's telling you that you don't have an hour to spare, that you can't play squash like you used to, that your knee's gone or that you've got to go to a board meeting. I mean, those are all stories in our head. Fundamentally, we need to be in the driver's seat and think determined in order to be agile physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and and to be a great leader, we have to actually be well. Our, Our health is our wealth. So a great leader recognizes that whatever the point we're meeting to discuss this, there is always a need to identify what great looks like and then figure out what you love to do. So I think the biggest problem with social media is generation exhibition. Like the roadmap for you, Amber, or another leader might be completely different. And I think we need to give ourselves permission to do an inventory, to look at what depletes us and look at what completes you and also look at the amount of time you really have We cannot ignore the responsibilities that come with being a parent or running a business or going through venture capital, you know, seeding, funding, whatever it is. But we can look at how we could navigate our way through those weeks and months to maintain a sense of fitness and purpose and a healthy aspect. So it's about rewriting the script with those leaders and saying, what does great look like for you? 
and not saying it's about getting a personal trainer and spending five hours in a gym every week because that's just not feasible for most of the people I work with. They're on planes or they're at different board meetings. It's about understanding a personal roadmap and game plan that's relevant, that resonates and is real time. Absolutely. It sounds so simple, but I'm sure it's a, it's a work in progress for most of us. So for you, what is the best tool in your kit for achieving most of what we want more of? So a lot of people go, I really want more time with my family, or I really want to make sure that I have some time away from my desk to do some strategic planning. How do you actually get people to make these things a habit? Is there a tool or a secret weapon that you have? Oh, you think I should share my secret weapon? Well, I think you should just tell yeah. us a little bit and, and whet our appetite. No, 100%. I actually have, um, and I've got a little mini book coming out about this, actually. So Perfect. it's a great plug for that. Go buy the book, but, everyone. Um, I actually have a rule that, funnily enough, I have used from a very young age. I don't know where I picked it up, but I've used it since I was about 16, and it's the 1% rule. So I've got a, I've, this is on my blog, and I think I've done a podcast about it as well. So. If you were to take 15 minutes of your day, which is just over 1%, so 14.4 minutes is 1% of your day, but let's round it up to 15 minutes a day. If you took 15 minutes a day for the one thing that is eluding you, whether it is time for yourself, time with your family, time on your well-being, you know, time on a business strategy, whatever it is, 15 minutes a day, if you took that time and you scheduled in your agenda for 100 days, 15 minutes a day, where do you think you'd be in 100 days time? Well, you know, you would be 100% better off. So it only takes 15 minutes a day to shift the coordinates in your roadmap to success. It takes 15 minutes a day to go from survival mode to seamless success. It takes 15 minutes a day in 100 days for you to start actually seeing results that last. And I think that's all we need. We need to get rid of these massive big plans and we need to bind everything down into a time that we can integrate, that we can just chip away at. It's not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And and that to me has been the one resounding secret tip that has helped people create game-changing new habits with lasting success. Yeah, that's amazing. So for you, you're obviously a mentor to so many, but you must have had some special mentors, inspirational people that have guided you in your journey of life. If so, who are they and what have they taught you? I think I'm really lucky to have a terrific group of friends that are all such high achievers that it's a little bit ridiculous, but I'm very privileged to be able to share stories and conversations with people that know what it's like to want to have an anti-gravity life. So, you know, I've got the traditional mentors. I look up a lot to my parents and for the integrity and values they taught me. And I've got people that I've worked with over the years. You know, I've got a couple of people like Al Ramadan from Play Bigger. Christopher Lockhead, one of the co-authors of that too, he's such a renegade. They're constantly not asking, why would you do that? But they're saying, why not? And I think that having mentors around you like that, like Lane, Lane's a great friend of mine too, constantly challenging ourselves. But it's not just commercially, it's being the best version of yourself personally. It's, it's being with people that understand that we are all leaders in life. We all have a ripple effect. So being in this position means, are you really, really connected and enjoying what you do? And there's a sense of values, ownership, and and I think a connection that is just so special when you work with people that you love doing what you love. So my mentors encourage me. They get they give me tough love. I've got a great mastermind group, and I've got really good friends that I know that I can just be completely raw and honest with. And I think 
there's always another thing that I have, which is a little bit of a secret, but I have an imaginary board of directors. So I have an imaginary board of directors that I you're that I ask questions to. Must be accountable too, then, because you know. Well, yeah, board, don't they, and I sort of stuff. say, if, if these people were in in the room right now, what would they say? And I don't even know if I should name names, but I have five people that I imagine. What would that person tell me? You know, I don't even. So it would be Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Warren Buffett, and then I have like the Dalai Lama. Like, because I think what we always have to do is we have to think like a CEO, plan like a visionary, and act like a Buddha, and and being mindful, but being present and then stripping the stories away and having facts and stats are really crucial. When you imagine that you have to turn up to a group of people like that, all of a sudden there's no fluff and it takes away all the stress and you have to just really stand in the facts and stats. And that's a really valuable tool for me. So I don't know if I should have let on to that, but those are all ways I think that we continually strive to think bigger and and to be braver and to also lead by example. So you know, the other thing is I'm in the trenches with my clients because I know what it's like. I work just as long hours and I've been there running advertising agencies and I have a lot of empathy. I know this, the constraints and the responsibilities and we don't want collateral damage. Success should not be at the cost of losing your family and your friends or your financial demise. And I think when we bring people back into purpose and profit, we have a really winning combination. Absolutely. It all makes sense to me. So just to wrap up, what would be your best tip for getting some runs on the board in the politics of vitality? I think the politics of vitality is number one, you've got to be accountable to define what that looks like for you. So stop looking outward and go, wow, what would vitality personally and commercially really look like for me? And don't be afraid of what comes up and rewrite the script a little bit. The second thing is accountability. Once you've got your personal awareness of what you think that looks like, it's being accountable. And one of the biggest challenges is people get disappointed that their friends and family don't support them. If you don't tell them what you need, they'll give you whatever they want. So say, if this is important, then put it in your agenda. Lead by example. If you really, really want to see those changes and fitness is important, find out what your final non-negotiable deal breaker is and work towards that. You know, don't wait till you end up in hospital or till you can't work because of burnout. There must be something that will motivate you to want to be your personal best. And if you can't find that, do some work on that. There is absolutely no excuse why our personal health and well-being should be put last on the list. In fact, it is the biggest asset we ever have. And once you've done your awareness and your accountability, you have to take action, which means do your winning weeks, start small, be curious. If you don't know where to begin, ask some experts that truly know their stuff and give yourself permission to have fun. Life, this is it. It's not your first rodeo. Chances are, if you're listening to this show with Amber, you're experienced, you're educated, you've done your work, you've earned your stripes. So, you know, enjoy this journey and replace fear and frustration with curiosity and go continually learn and think that whatever got to you at this point is just an evolution now as to what could great look like next. I love it. And I feel very uh, full of vitality after speaking to you, Nikki. If you do want to contact Nikki Fogden more, there will be some details of her contacts on the show notes. You have been listening to The Politics of Everything. Until next time, keep well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U 
and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.